fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. Hi, I'm Caitlin. And this is Imperial News, where I spend my week listening to Rebel Media and then force my friend Caitlin to hear what I found. Great. How are you? I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Excited. Well, you don't want to do intro podcast banter? I'm bad at it. I don't know. Whatever. This is our technically our first episode. We already recorded one, but uh, I kind of screwed up the audio. So we're going to take it from a new beginning and go from there. So, <laughs> so one thing we learned about recording the first week is uh, that the Rebel Media repeats a lot of things and they're long and I could just clip a bunch of things and that'll just make things too complicated. So what I've done is I've made like a summary of the whole week and so we'll go day by day but it'll be very brief just kind of like the topics that they went over and so we'll go over them and then i'll do like one large segment on a particular topic so this week it happens to be on immigration which was something that they covered a lot and so we're going to listen to one sort of large clip from them about immigration and sort of sort of deconstruct where the right wing kind of how the right wing creates the propaganda because i i see the rebel as being this kind of uh propaganda mill that sort of like creates the narratives that then the right sort of runs with and you can see you'll see as we go through it that they repeat things that they've been doing for like since 2011 uh and won't give up even though they've been thoroughly debunked but i think it's like you repeat it enough to your audience and it just like sucks them in and they then they can repeat that to people and it sounds authoritative and confident but at the very bottom of it it's just complete nonsense so so i don't know what i'm going to do here we might have some like transition music but we're going to do the imperial news roundup bump 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 bump, bump or something <laughs> <laughs> so on august 26th uh, Ezra spent the entire show proud of the fact that staffers for U.S. Sec- US Secretary of State Mike Pompeo snuck him into a media event with Canada's uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs, and that's uh, Christia Freeland. So basically, uh, Mike Pompeo and Christia Freeland, they were having some sort of media thing at the Art Gallery of Ontario, and Rebel Media, I guess, are not allowed into any press things anymore because of all the the crap that they do yeah so they went out of their way to contact members of mike pompeo's staff they said they didn't talk to mike pompeo directly and then somehow through that got press passes to go to this event okay now the other interesting thing about this is he he does this so it was like breaking news we sort of like we broke into this media event by like going through the americans and then he tells this story about how the Canadian press all did this like scrum where they wanted to come up with a, a, a few good questions. So I guess the media were told you're only going to get an opportunity to ask one or two questions. Okay. And so they wanted to come up with like a really good question. And Ezra claims that he was just he just comes in and he's like, oh, hey, I got this great question. Uh, how about you ask uh, Christia about Chinese steel being illegally dumped into Canada and that Freeland refuses to put tariffs on China when they've detained two Canadians? Why don't, why don't you ask her that? And he also cites that this is from the United Steelworkers. That's where I got it from. Like, why don't you ask her that question? And so they end up, one of the media people is chosen and goes up and asks the question. And so he then goes, see, it was us. 
We gave them that question. Mm -hmm. But they just didn't want me to be the one who asked it. Because Rebel is this bad thing. So he's... And here's the thing is, we have no knowledge. <laughs> right? He could so just, just be making this whole... Yeah. you don't know. He's claimed... He was there. And he was the one who gave it to him. And, like, all the media people were like, Oh, like, you're great. Like, we don't want to keep you outside. And part of me thinks that maybe they were doing that as... Uh, like being nice to him. You're like, oh, like it's sad that you can't come to these things anymore. And maybe it was like being nice to him or he just made this whole thing up. Like there's no way to have any of this knowledge. None of the other reporters have come forward or spoke on the records. Yeah, so there's nothing validating what his claims are. Right. I mean, but the one thing that's interesting and you're going to find he does this on more than one occasion this week, which is point to something that unions are doing and then go, See, it's not a right-wing thing. Like, here's this union. The workers are in favor. Yeah. Right. And the thing is, in this case, it's not like the United Steel workers were saying anything like too controversial. They're upset that the the liberal government purchased steel from China uh, for cheaper than what they could have got from Canadian steel workers. So, I mean, I side with the Canadian steel workers where it's like, if you need steel for an infrastructure project, why don't you use Canadian steel? Because it's about profit. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, or or it could have done with some sort of trade deal that they worked out. So, like, I, I understand where the steelworkers are coming from. But I also know with what I've seen from, like, right-leaning speakers or, I guess, like, social media presence is they want jobs to come back to, like, Canada or the United States. They don't like the idea of outsourcing. And I don't think we being left-leaning like outsourcing as well but it's for different ethical purposes and principles yeah and there's a question of whether or not the quality of the steel from chinese was worse so like i couldn't find any information to this but a lot of the talking points that the united steel workers were saying was that the steel that's coming from china has been degraded or it's like illegal in some respect okay and the chinese are just dumping it into canada but to be honest like i i tried to look into that and i have i have no clue uh so then the other thing is he spends so that was that and then he spends the rest of the episode and this is my favorite part uh complaining about one of the members of freeland's staff okay and so this i i got a clip of it just because of how amazing it is but this is We'll just play the clip. Okay. And as I walked into the National Arts Center, I saw a guy who was scurrying about, talking on his cell phone, and he um, he reminded me a little bit of a, a wedding planner. He came across that way. He was effusive. He uh, he was very dramatic. And the strange thing about him was that he wasn't wearing socks. He was wearing a suit, but his pants were short. And I, I, I could tell he was wearing teeny tiny socks. I want to pause there. Because one thing caught my attention was he says he wasn't wearing socks. But then he goes to describe the appearance and he goes, he was wearing teeny tiny socks. And I want to know, was he wearing socks or was what? he not wearing <laughs> socks? Because his whole narrative hinges on this fact that this guy was not wearing socks. That exposed his ankles oh, and God. a little scandalous anklet, oh. an ankle bracelet. Here is it what it looks worse. like. And I later discovered that that is Christia Freeland's uh, communications director. That's the man in scandal of sending our images, sending our impressions to the world as Canadians. And that was how he was dressing on this momentous day where Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was coming to town. And my first thought was, put on some socks. What are you doing? And 
course, Kian, who's much younger than me, said, Ezra, that's sort of the millennial style. Well, I don't care what style. So I'm a millennial. And I wear socks. So I'm not, <laughs> I don't, apparently this is a millennial, a millennial trend, trend. To show off your ankle bracelets i mean i can i kind of picture in my head what it looks like and i can kind of guess what that ensemble like from the description i just think that it's like he's carrying so much weight on it that's a little problematic yeah and i'll play the rest of this clip but you're gonna find that this is like a trend and even in the the first episode that we recorded that we ended up scrapping appearance and questioning body language and stuff like this is something that he repeatedly does and Mm -hmm. it's going to come up more today as well but it's just a fact of like oh these are look at look at christian freeland and her millennial staff just running around looking all embarrassing and the weird thing here is it was one dude out of this whole like event who happened to be wearing like low-cut socks or no socks wedding planners well, that's Not that was. Socks. I'm really confused by a lot of the comments he made. I mean, that was like maybe where I started to feel like some homophobia was coming in as well. Like he was this flamboyant wedding planner scurrying around. Like it just sounds like there's more to this than just. Yeah, or this it's just like funny. hegemonic masculinity. Like he's not fitting the narrative of what a man should dress like. So look at what they've got going on there. Some weirdo wearing the. <laughs> Ankle bracelet. Men don't wear ankle bracelets, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Well, it is. You have the Secretary of State of the United States coming, and you're dressing like you're at some bar or club or something. Put on a suit. Put on some socks. And, yeah, we know you want to show us that anklet. And maybe that's a high fashion somewhere. But it just – I thought to myself, who would do that? Um, who would do that? How who, dare he? Who would do that? I cut out a bit because there's a an end point of that where he literally he literally says maybe I'm being a fuddy duddy and I was just like my god you're such a boomer <laughs> fuddy duddy who uses that anymore but it, it was the fact of I like know. he spends he spends an inordinate amount of time of this episode on August 26th just to like rip into the way this guy was dressed at an art gallery at a late night sort of like which if you want to like point out the fact that they're at an art gallery where it is supposed to be kind of like that scene is a little more you know hipster alternative fashion um that millennial and i'm doing that in air quotes millennial yeah. kind of look those those millennials those millennials and their their outfits god forbid um so to me that just makes sense like he could have just been wanting to dress trendy or some sort of alternative to like this classic suit to like spice it up a bit at this art gallery showing where that would be appropriate to do that. So yeah. But Mike Pompeo, I mean, he's the secretary of state. You can't wear no socks. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or Or smaller, tiny socks. Anyway, so that, that literally was all of August 26th was him bragging about sneaking into this media event and then complaining about one of Christian Freeland's staffers. Sounds like a slow day. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then on August 27th, Ezra begins the show uh, by focusing on the removal of a billboard regarding mass immigration. And I won't cover that here because that's going to be our our bigger topic. Say no to ass, man. Yes, say no to ass, man. We'll get to that. (laughs) So then the second half of the show on that day was about the carbon tax. 
And uh, no. Yeah, and it was really bad. And of they course. they didn't well, they didn't even say anything of substance really. Like cuz I can even have some critiques of a carbon tax. Of course. But it, they were literally just complaining about I mean the one the one point I remember them bringing up which wasn't even a good point was this idea of that whether or not the carbon tax will produce more like green economy jobs. And the thing is it will. And they were like, oh, my, you can't just tax jobs into existence. And part of me is like, yes, you can. Like, that was like part of the whole uh, uh, New Deal in the first place through FDR, right? Like, you raise taxes, you get people working, building roads, creating infrastructure. I mean, that's that's the whole point. So if you put a tax on carbon and then use that tax money, the revenue that you gain from that project, and you can put it towards getting people to build things like windmills and other stuff. So yeah. It's just nonsense. But it's interesting to note that the guest he has on who he interviews about the carbon tax was someone named Andrew Lawton. Does that name ring a bell to you? No. So this was like a local thing for us. Andrew Lawton ran for the progressive conservatives in Ontario in London West, which is Peggy Sattler's riding. And he basically news blew up because while he was running, it came out that he's had years of just homophobic islamophobic and all kinds of uh, other things that he said on his radio show and the other interesting thing about him was doug ford specifically handpicked him for that riding so when most people run for a position they go through an election process and their riding association he was just handpicked doug ford is like you're running boom (laughs) uh so clearly doug ford likes this guy and I just I took a few of the things that he said here just so we can uh, run down some. Of, so just so no one thinks that we're trying to say like slander Andrew Lawton and accuse him of things. So this was in 2015. Lawton responded to a poll that found homophobia was a concern for London's gay community, writing on Facebook. Number of sexual orientation motivated hate crimes in Canada per year. 185 number of hiv slash aids infections from men who have sex with men in canada per year 1450 who is the real enemy now his excuse for all these comments was that back around the 2005 2011 period he was struggling with mental health issues oh yes i heard about that now the interesting thing is some of the things i've said here like specifically the homophobic part about uh, aids that was said in 2015 so it's clear he's been saying these things for longer and not in the period he claims he was suffering from mental health issues. But either way, that's Andrew Lawton. And he appeared as a guest on the, the carbon tax for some reason. And then the episode ends on something that's really interesting that we discussed. So this is like big news. It was actually trending on Twitter, which was that Donald Trump had retweeted uh, Ezra Levant. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, we were having a discussion about what does this mean? And I remember you taking the position that this is going to hurt him because Big Papa Daddy was insulting him. <laughs> right. So big, big, bad Trump. And I was like, I actually don't think that's how he's going to react. And so my thought was that he's going to sort of take pride in the fact that, hey, Trump follows him or Trump like. We're best friends. Right. We're having a conversation on Twitter. So let's see, let's see how, how it went. Yeah. So this is this is Ezra chatting about his his I Trump tweet. I saw this, but <laughs> a couple of days ago, Donald Trump, maybe it was just yesterday, Donald Trump retweeted 
Um, oh, no, you were right. Weren't you? <laughs> I jab at Trudeau on Twitter all the time. Donald Trump retweeted and said, nah, nah, be nice. And Trump himself retweeted. So for context, and yes, I'm going to be right. <laughs> but for context, what happened was there was a picture of Justin Trudeau sitting beside Donald Trump. And Justin Trudeau sort of has his legs crossed and he's wearing colorful socks. Again, appearance crap. It's always appearance crap. And Ezra Klein, or Ezra Levant, <laughs> Ezra, Ezra, Ezra Klein? I think that's the Vox media person. <laughs> yeah. Sort of blend them together. Uh, Ezra Levant basically captioned that tweet, or captioned that photo and said something like, look at the power dynamic, like Trump's like crushing him. He's such a manly, masculine dude and Justin Trudeau is this week. Dominating kind of the conversation. And Trump yeah. retweeted basically saying like, no, it went fine. We had a great talk. Something like just straight up like that. And so a lot of people in the media and even people on Twitter were like, like riffing at Ezra going like, oh, you got owned by Donald Trump, right? So that was the context of what's happening. And so like, I might be right in how he spins this, but I wonder if it was a kind of ego blow, like it's hard to tell, like clearly yeah. he's going to take it and spin it in the most positive light that he can. But I also think there's some truth to what he says here. So. In fact, that's the subject of our next letter. On my interaction with President Donald Trump, Jonathan Levine writes, I don't think Canada needs an equivalent to Fox. Not even Donald, the idiot president, agrees with your depiction of Trudeau as submissive. So this is interesting. This is someone, so they do at the end of their show, they do a, like a letter writing yeah. in segment. And when we recorded last week, all of them were people who were positive. And so here he reads one negative comment. Okay. And I think he reads it specifically because he wants to be like... He wants to rebuttal right. the things that are happening on Twitter. Canadians can see through the BS, so don't bother. Well, Jonathan Levine, let's look at my tweet, where I, I, I basically say, look, Trudeau is submissive. He talks tough and disparages Trump when Trump's not there, but in Trump's present... He, he sits like a good boy and look at him crossing his legs. And, got, and I said, even a child can see who is in control and who is. So that's what I tweeted. Why would the president retweet that, bringing it to the attention of 63 million people? I'm, like I say, to Mike Pompeo, I'm really nobody. To Donald Trump, I'm less than nobody. Why would Trump, Trump doesn't follow me on Twitter, obviously. No. So why would he choose from all the tweets out there, mine, and retweet it and say, no, it was a productive meeting. He's nice. Well, that's a very backhanded way of showing everybody what I wrote. Now, that's an interesting take, and he'll expand on it. And it's interesting because I, I think he's imparting too much into Trump. Like Trump was some sort of like manipulator of like, secretly I agree with Ezra. So I'm going to retweet his tweet just so I can secretly show the 63 million followers I have that what I agree with what Ezra said. But of course I'm going to put up a veneer of, right, of, of saying like, no, we're getting along. It's all fine. But of you're going to damage Canadian U.S. relations by just tweeting it and liking it. And he's trying to like tell people, no, we have good relations and that's a good way for him to get good PR. But the, but the one point that I agree with Ezra is why did he share as or like, why did he retweet Ezra's tweet? Because it's not like Ezra's tweet got like a lot of traction, sure. which tells me that even if Trump really does not follow him. 
he somehow it somehow entered his media sphere such that Trump saw it and then felt the need to respond to it. And that to me, like I feel that his audience is going to see that as a sign that like, look, Trump is like into our stuff into it, even though he might disagree with Ezra Mm. at this point, but we'll finish out what Ezra has to say. That's, that's, that's a little bit passive aggressive. And you know, he didn't say, no, Trudeau doesn't disrespect me or no, Trudeau isn't submissive. He said, no, 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 no. We had a productive, productive meeting. He was nice. He didn't deny the charge, but rather he brought the charge to the attention of 63 million people. I think anyone who thinks Donald Trump was mad <laughs> at me calling out Justin Trudeau, I was putting me in my place. I, I don't think they're as sophisticated as they think they are. And I think they're giving Trump less credit than he deserves. I mean, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I think you're if you're wrong. Donald Trump, president of the United <laughs> States, you don't take some tweet from the ether and show it to your 63 million friends for no reason and say, no, 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 no. You say that Justin Trudeau is a weak, submissive, uh, backstabbing, rude loser. No, 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 no. I won't hear of it. He's nice. Oh, you set me straight. Anyways, that's our show for today. Until next time. Again, I feel like there's like, there's something to that in that there is a signal to the people that Trump is at least feels the need to respond to that group of people, whether positively or negative, right? There's something like they swim in the same ecosystems in a way. Yeah. Well, I think he also gets lumped into that. And when you see him in his interviews, he kind of tries to simultaneously distance himself, but also copy rhetoric that come from far right groups so I think he does it when he knows he's in trouble. Like when there's like a mass shooting, you'll see, him, I don't, I, I'm against this stuff, right? He's always up saying, I don't agree. But then he'll say something about like, you know, women in a negative way, immigrants in a negative way, and then support these very far right policies, of course. Um, so and I, I, I agree but at the same time, I think he purposely does it to distance himself at the same time, because politics is really just a game of who can get the most voters. And he does have people that are on the fence that vote for him. It's not just far right people who vote for him. And so I think he knows that as well and has to play to those sentiments. So at least those groups of people who are maybe more like right center or in the center can be like, see, he's not completely bad. Yeah. Right. Like he's logical. He's a logical man. This guy's the idiot that follows him blindly and just makes up stuff and exaggerates. That guy's just an extremist. That Ezra guy, right? But yeah, I Trump's wonder- rational. He's a man, rational man, right? So-, so I do agree with you, but I wonder if then it plays sort of like two, two purposes. And again, I don't impart any intelligence to Trump in like masterminding this scenario. <laughs> right? I right. I don't agree with Ezra's logic i think what's happened is his like he has a party he's a pr team that back him up and they're all saying do this so people can see you like this be like this this is a good opportunity he's not making these decisions by himself no but what i mean by the dual like the tweet ends up serving dual purposes that i don't think he intended 
in, like I don't think he intellectualized the intent of it. But what it does is it does appeal to those centrist types by making Trump appeal appear more rational in that, oh, look, he's not far right, right? Yeah. But then it also, I think, does have this effect that I think the people in the far right who are going to follow him no matter what, right? They're just, they're locked into Trump. And so they see this as a signal of Trump is watching us. He's listening. He's digesting our content. And even though he puts that signal out, they can agree with the kind of spin that Ezra's putting on it and go, oh, yeah. Why would he retweet us? It's just a subtly hint to us that I, I see your point. People yeah. in the far right, when they're confronted with something that goes against everything they believe in, will come up with some backwards logic yeah. in order to make themselves feel better and to solidify and validate their backwards claims. 100%. So moving on, that was the end of that day. So then we're on to August 28th. And this is like another brutal day. And we could have done a whole episode on this, but we might uh, eventually have to. So the episode begins with a weird claim, which is that Ezra blames the Notre Dame fire on President of France, Emmanuel Macron, stating that it's just obvious that it was a conspiracy that he said it. And he says it's just obvious, just like the Epstein suicide is a conspiracy. So here it is. Uh, uh, we were wondering how he was going to fall on that line and i think he's being overt i don't think he thinks that epstein committed stu- epstein committed suicide okay and then he compares uh what uh, emmanuel macron did to what he thinks emmanuel macron did to notre dame to the case of the amazon burning in brazil and says well here's a case where clearly jair bolsonaro the president of brazil he hasn't done anything wrong fires are just a natural thing in forests they just happen now, we know that oh. this is factually not true, that yeah. uh, I think that the the amount of forest fires this year have doubled from the previous year, which is insane. That like that doesn't happen naturally unless you're experiencing some sort of drought period. And the scientists are like, no, we're in the wet season. So there's no way that these fires are increasing this way unless people are purposefully setting them on fire. And so there is a case in which I don't think anyone in the media, like Ezra sort of like paints this frame that the media are like saying that Jared Bolsonaro almost like personally set these fires. But really all they're saying is that Jared Bolsonaro took his hands off and basically allows these people who want to uh, raise cattle on that land to just go ahead and burn the land and take it over from the native populations that are living in the Amazon. And he's not going to intervene with them doing it. So there's a case in which all these fires are man-made. It's not just natural. But it's not like Jared Bolsonaro is going, light a fire, light a fire, right? He's just taking on a hands-off approach and allowing people to do this. And then again, the interesting thing is Ezra tries to to talk about Macron's appearance and then brings Trudeau into it and be like, they hugged each other and it was a creepy hug. And he goes, and again, there's this like undertones of homophobia. It's just weird that like, especially this week, and it might be a recurring theme, he really cares about the appearance of like weakness and uh, submissiveness, even like where I don't think it exists. But he like really cares about that. And it gets into what you were saying, like hegemonic masculinity, where yeah. it's like, uh, and it appeals to his hyper-masculine base that hates fem- feminism yeah. and all this stuff, right? 
and again, it, it didn't fit in the cut. It was just like, I got to throw in this appearance bullshit just because I, I have to feel, fill my quote at each episode to mention something about Trudeau looking. Yeah, weird, yeah. Right? Okay. And then the interesting, he makes a comment that I don't agree fully with it, but I agree with part of it, which he complains. So Trudeau is sending money to Brazil to help with the forest fire uh, effort of like stopping them. And Ezra complains that, why are you sending money to help with this forest fire in Brazil when you still haven't helped the grassy narrow people and their water crisis up yeah. north. And part of me is like, yes, Trudeau promised to help out the grassy narrows people and has yet to, to fulfill that promise. But at the same time, like he could do both, <laughs> right? That's like yeah. I have no problem with sending money. Cause again, the Amazon is very important and all that stuff. Uh, it's a carbon uh, sink. It also provides uh, a lot of biodiversity on this planet. And so letting it just burn is not a good thing. But at the same time, what's happening with the grassy narrow thing is terrible. But it surprises me as well, because I often don't think, at least I haven't heard any anti-native stuff coming out of Ezra yet. I'm sure it's going to come. Yeah. <laughs> but so far, the only things he said about native populations in Canada have in some degree been positive. Like the fact that he's even raising the issue of grassy narrows and complaining that Trudeau hasn't done anything about it. I agree. Like that's yeah. a problem. So credit where credit's due. I'm glad he's bringing that up. So then the second half of this episode gets even weirder in that he has this interview with a woman named Julia Song. And she begins by being angry at the fact that the rest of the world is telling what Brazil needs to do with their, their fire and going there messing with Brazil's sovereignty. And the thing that annoys me about that is like, we live in a deeply connected globalist world. Like even if you don't like it, and even if the, the fires are burning in Brazil, it affects the whole world. Yeah. Right. So screw you and your sovereignty argument. Uh, she then says, so there was a bunch of pictures showing smoke in Sao Paulo. I don't know if you've seen those images. No. So it was like Sao Paulo, big city, and on the cloud, like, it looked like a really stormy night, but it was a clear day. It was just the smoke clouds from the fires. And the thing is, she claims that these images are fake. And she claims that they're fake because Sao Paulo is very far away from the Amazon forest. And the thing, so like, I was like, okay, that's an interesting argument. Look into it. And it's like smoke travels a long distance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so the Sao Paulo, it's something like 3000 kilometers away from where the burning was taking place. Yeah. But the smoke was blowing that far. Like that's how intense these fires are. So for her, like for her, it's just obviously these are fake. Sao Paulo is far away from the forest. They can't be real. But a simple Google search shows you that, no, we got satellite imagery. Like this is clearly the smoke from the fires yeah, yeah, blowing yeah. over Sao Paulo. Uh, she also then criticizes the claim that uh, the Amazon is the lungs of the earth. And I kind of agree with her because at least from what I read, there's nothing about, say, the Amazon that creates most of our oxygen or okay. something like that. But I, for most of the complaints that I hear, that's not often what people are complaining about. It's mainly the fact that it's a huge carbon sink. So now we're releasing way more carbon into the atmosphere. And it's also that the Amazon rainforest is a huge uh, biodiverse part of the world. Yeah, I did watch something recently. I was watching... Uh... I think it's one strange rock or one strange big rock. Will Smith 
narrates it and it's about the earth and space and like basically they interview a bunch of astronauts and ask them about like their space journey and like they talk about like a different subject every week and so one of them was about like ecosystems in general and they were actually saying that majority of the oxygen produced does come from the amazon rainforest i forget how much but they went over it and just they're not saying it's like this direct transaction where it's like 90 percent is just produced here but they were explaining the nuances of how it is um so so uh, i I, i had heard those claims too and again i haven't done like an exhaustive search and from what i gathered like it could be like a high percentage but i found some pretty reputable scientific papers that also claim like uh that that claim is sort of not true and go into the details but then it gets too scientific that i'm not sure so my kind of point is like sure it's a myth or or maybe maybe it isn't maybe uh, there's sources that show that yes it does produce that oxygen but that to me is like that's not the only like issue so for you to go and say oh, you call it the lungs of the earth just to like scare us when really we can do without the Amazon rainforest. And it's like, no, there's other reasons why we want to keep this forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention the the native populations that are living there that are being displaced. Or animals and like... Well, the biodiversity is huge, right? I mean, people don't understand like how important it is to keep biodiverse environments. And we're just wiping it out for cattle ranching, basically. But, uh, but that happens a lot with like right-leaning groups too where they think like hunting is really good because it keeps them in line almost like it's almost like we need to hunt the carnivores the animals are getting out of hand yeah yeah, like like nature is taking over we gotta solve the problem with hunting and you know hunting for fun just also for masculinity yeah Yeah. masculinity right so much like this is the thing that's sad like so much of this is hyper masculinity and just let's be men and destroy things and you gotta look tough yeah and if you wear colorful socks or no socks you're you're out of our team not the socks yeah i actually uh worked at bulk barn through a summertime in my undergrad and it was the worst job i've ever worked and every day i walked in my boss would comment on my socks and that used to piss me off like it just got over time under my skin and I didn't stay there that long I think like two months not even because I I found another job I just hated it that much but every day I walked in and he'd comment about what color socks I was wearing how tall they were in length and I started to realize that the people I worked with were really conservative in nature like my boss would also tell me put a smile on missy like things like that while I was at work and it would just really irk me um and so I started to realize they talked very conservative. The CEO who had his head office right across from the location we worked at would come in and he had these very fiscally conservative ideas. Um, and its appearance just is so big in those circles and socks are just a weird thing. Socks are, it's like, it's just this weird thing about like, what, you're wearing white socks with black shoes? How could you? Like, how could you do that? It's so weird. I mean, I, I had a similar story where I worked at Rona, which is like a like a Home Depot chain in Canada for anyone who's not in Canada listening to this. And we used to wear, you would wear like your apron, but you could like wear whatever you want underneath. Like there was no standard sort of like uniform. Mm-hmm. And I worked with a bunch of like hardcore Roman Catholics, like 
hardcore and they really annoyed me. So I would purposefully wear things like pink clothes just to bug them because you could tell like they would stare like boys don't wear pink. What are you, what are you doing wearing pink? And I would behave in ways that were suggestive of homosexuality. And maybe like looking back, like that's maybe not like the best thing, but like I did it just to, to fuck with these people them, yeah. of just like how, cause I didn't care. I like, uh, everyone you know i mean i don't like bigots <laughs> so, point, but yeah. it was just the fact of like i'm gonna wear things that make you uncomfortable just because like how irrational you are to get uncomfortable by mm-hmm. the fact that i'm wearing the color pink somehow makes me no undesirable yeah. like, and again it is these kind of like masculine tropes of like you're supposed to dress a certain way and you're at a job so you gotta look formal and and represent yourself i mean the mask like i don't know why they would get mad at your socks but no they get really angry. <laughs> so finally this episode ends with uh so bolsonaro got stabbed i don't know if you knew this so no, this was during his election while he was like campaigning he was stabbed by someone and ezra just throws this line out there he goes bolsonaro was stabbed by antifa what <laughs> and you know Bolsonaro's a fascist, so I guess anyone who wants to stab Bolsonaro <laughs> is kind of anti-fascist. Yeah. But really, like in reality, so this guy was a left-wing individual, at least from his social media uh, portfolio. So he sort of defended left-wing causes, and also was upset the, the, for the fact that like Bolsonaro was running and didn't like Bolsonaro. But the reason why he stabbed him, he he claimed that basically God told him to do it. And he has since been acquitted of the stabbing for reasons of mental illness. Mm. And right now, Bolsonaro is trying to sort of fight that to say that he deserves to, to be in prison. So right now he's this guy who stabbed him is not in prison. He's in a, an institution basically to, to treat him. So I don't know how that qualifies as Antifa, but apparently the guy who stabbed Bolsonaro is Antifa. Which again, is just a way of like, I feel like Antifa doesn't engage in enough violence. So they need to find any type of left-wing violence they, they could find and they go, Antifa did it. So then, moving on. So we're almost done the whole week. So August 29th, Ezra has a special report exposing the, the corruption of Gerald Butts. Gerald Butts, if you don't know, was the principal secretary of Trudeau. He's been good friends with Trudeau for like a long time. And he ended up resigning because of the NC SNC Lavalin yeah. issue. For those who are not Canadian and aren't privy to the scandal, <laughs> well, it'll probably come up again as this election goes forward and I will like cover the issue. But anyways, long story short, uh, Trudeau did something that was unethical and Gerald, uh, Gerald Butts, who is his friend and principal secretary, put pressure on another person named Jody Wilson-Raybould, yeah. who was blowing the whistle on these issues. And because he put that pressure and it came out, I think email exchanges and other things came out, yeah. he ended up resigning. Now, what Ezra claims is the special Didn't thing... did she also resign as well? Well, she did too, kind of because she had to. Yeah. It like was almost like... Pressured. Well, it's like as soon as you blow the whistle... And now everybody in the Liberal Party hates you. So she didn't, she resigned from her position as, or she was forced out of her position as uh, 
I can't remember what the position was. Attorney General? I think it was Attorney yeah. General. So she was forced out of that position. But then she ended up leaving the Liberal Party. So now I think she's an independent. Okay. Uh, mainly because I she's still kind of a centrist. So I wouldn't put her in the same camp as the NDP. No, no. Or le- left-leaning. So she's now kind of like... On her own. Yeah. Figuring it out. Okay. Mainly because the Liberals don't want her. Because for for political reasons, right? They see her as being the one that basically hurt their chances of re-election coming up, right? Mm-hmm. Because they would be way higher in the polls if not for the SNC-Lavalin issue. Okay. But so she didn't technically like resign. I think she got forced out and then left the party because no one wanted her, right? Why would you stay after you do that? Yeah. And no one wanted her around. But the issue that Ezra's bringing up right now is they apparently broke some news, them and another site called The Post-Millennial, which are also annoying and right-wing, they claim that... So Butts is now working for a company called uh, the Eurasia Group, and some stuff came out showing that the Trudeau government has given money to this company. Okay. Now, the money was given to the company before Butts had resigned or showed any indication that he wanted to join the group. Okay. And also... uh, the stuff that Eurasia Group got, I think, were like grants and stuff like this. So they had to apply and go through a process. Yeah. Uh, and not only that, they received like several different ones uh, even after Butts had left. So it's it's like an ongoing thing. But the rebel has found out this information and therefore thinks there's some sort of corruption between uh, Butts joining the Eurasia Group and the Eurasia Group getting all this money. I don't know if there's anything there to no other media organization is covering this. So that might give you an indication of whether anyone sees anything to worry about here or not. Yeah. Uh, or, or they really do have this scoop and it's going to bubble up later. But for now it just, I mean, this stuff sort of happens and I don't think it's corruption, at least not. A, I mean, there's all these incestuous relationships at that level and that's not good and i can be critical of it but then there's a question of like to what degree is it corrupt or not right now i'm not going to get into that but he spends the whole day we got a special report and it was like all about that so then on the very last day august 30th they had an episode uh chatting with this conservative journalist named warren gunter about polls and this episode was insanely boring you got these two boomers just like going back and forth with yeah. just like, man, like people are mean to conservatives. Uh, <laughs> and then there's this one moment I want to play for you just for the like degree of cringe. It was so cringy. Uh, I couldn't believe it. So this is boomer energy. And I think I've used this analogy with you before. I mean, in, in 2015, a lot of voters were prepared to give up the bland, solid accountant that they had been with for 10 years uh-huh. in favor of the, the sharp-looking pool boy uh-huh. who offered a little bit of zing in the life. <laughs> yeah. And now they... And now- that laugh is so creepy. But- it is creepy. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it gets worse. They've awakened to the fact that the pool boy's rutting, routing through their purse looking for money for weed. Yeah. Um, you know... <laughs> That's a perfect analogy. Oh, my God. I, you know what? I, please forgive me. I'm going to steal that analogy, Lauren. I'll give you credit, but I, it's too good. I got to use that. It's exactly what he is. I, let me say one more thing about the imposter. So <laughs> I, 
Is it that perfect of an analogy? I didn't think it was that great of an analogy, but apparently Trudeau is a pool boy that routes in your purse for weed money because he legalized weed. You get it? (laughs) He's a pool boy who legalized weed. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I see the logic that he's trying to use. It's just not good. Um, (laughs) Is it logic? It's an analogy. All right. It's, It's an analogy. I guess, like... You know, he's cool, hip, young, good Is that what you get from Pool Boy? I actually, Pool Boy to me, again, is another attack on his masculinity. Really? Because when I think of Pool Boy, I think of those like horrible movie tropes where they have the cougar mom and the young, attractive looking, probably underage, which is gross when you think about it, man that has a shirt off and that mom's like drinking a martini sitting by the poolside. Okay. Do you, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like a really yeah. horrible TV or movie trope. Especially in the 80s. And like, like Stranger and then Things her name's played, like, played into that too. Yeah, like Mrs. Yeah. Robinson or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And then he's got his shirt off and he's quite attractive looking and he's working out in the sun. But he's also, you know, doesn't really have any brains. He's more of like a jockey kind of character. And so that's what he's relating Trudeau to right now. See, for me... He said a lot of people that are conservative leaning tend to characterize trio as this kind of, you know, people voted for him because he looks good. He's just a pretty boy. Right. He's just a pretty boy. He's got nothing to him. He's just pretty. Right. And he's funny, hip and cool. Cause he legalized marijuana. Yeah. I, I guess the effeminate angle that I was going on, and I think you're probably more right, but I think this is just like recency effect for me is that, Right now in the United States, I don't know if you've heard about this. Well, I mean, it's like sort of old news, but it's something that keeps bubbling up, which is that uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. uh, backed Donald Trump. And it seemed weird. So I don't know if you know the Falwells, huge uh, uh, evangelical Christians. Mm. And so it was weird that they supported Trump. Uh, in during the primaries specifically because you would have thought that they endorse someone like Ted Cruz right and so some people put the Trump's victory to the fact that Jerry Falwell Jr. supported Trump now it has come out since that Michael Cohen the lawyer who covered up the Stormy Daniels stuff actually had evidence of Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife basically having threesomes with this pool boy and a lot oh of the gosh. language that has like surrounded that has been this, like, uh, pool boy as in like swings both ways and is like yeah, but that's a specific case when you think of the right, of right. What a pool boy is. But I guess like a lot of people have been and like it's the way of calling it a, like a boy as opposed to like a pool guy. It is a boy, <laughs> and also this is another thing is like guys feel attacked by it if you think about it. So if they're talking about like this professional classy older man and then they're saying this immature little boy that all the women think are good looking and that's all that's to him is coming in and the only thing he can do is like get us marijuana or like steal from our pockets to get or marijuana. engage in bisexual threesomes i don't know if he's going yeah. there but like <laughs> i think like that's what i'm seeing or hearing yeah. right no, I know. I mean, I think what I'm saying is that that's just where my mind went. Like, I think after like having this conversation, you're clearly more on the page than I am. But anyways, so that was I just had to share that for how disgustingly boomer that was. It is laugh. My God, the guy is so creepy. 
And he thought it like he thought it was so good. <laughs> oh my god, it's so brilliant. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> All right, so that was it. That was the whole week of stuff. Which gets us to our main segment. I don't know if I'm going to have music here either. Probably not. Maybe not another drama. Dun, 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 dun. Main thing. Main thing. main thing going into. Big thing. Big, big, big thing. Big topic. Right. So, as I said during the uh, weekly portion, there's this incident that happened. And this billboard was put up and it said, Say no to mass immigration. And it had a picture of Maxine Bernier, who's running for the People Party of Canada. Uh, for those who are unaware of the Canadian context, Maxine Bernier used to be a part of the Conservative government. He was uh, a member of Parliament for them. He ran for the Conservative leadership race, but he lost to Andrew Scheer. And then after that happened, he left and formed his own party, which is called the People Party. And the reason why he left was mainly due to immigration issues. So he thought that Andrew Scheer was too weak on immigration. That's shocking. And uh, he's very racist, basically. And the other thing is, in the Quebec context, uh, there is a lot of issues with how Quebec handles its immigration population, in particular how they handle religious minorities that are moving into Quebec. Uh, So they recently passed a law banning uh, religious symbols in public. Yeah. Stuff like this. Yep. So like the niqab and other things. So it was just interesting that Maxime Bernier didn't think the conservatives were to the right enough on uh, immigration issues, left the party, has formed his own thing. And it's going to be interesting to see how this affects the election. And what we're learning through this journey, because I, I thought it would be less uh, obvious that uh, Rebel Media was going to support Maxime Bernier. But it's very clear to me that they're leaning heavily towards Maxine Bernier. Oh, no. And we're going to find, I mean, from last week that we ended up scrapping the episode, there was like subtle hints where they had Barbara Kay on, who's a National Post columnist. And they had a whole episode that was very transphobic. Mm-hmm. And Barbara Kay ended up saying, I'm voting for Bernier because he's basically the only candidate who's transphobic. <laughs> she didn't put it that way. But like, yeah. it's the idea, like he was voice, voicing the same concerns about uh, trans issues and so she was for that reason and that reason alone she was going to support him and Ezra didn't really push back on that and he's also had some critical things to say about Sheer, who's the conservative leader mainly claiming that he's weak on immigration he's pro dairy farmer conglomerates for some reason <laughs> like I don't know that's a huge issue and then uh he's also weak against global warming which Ezra thinks is a hoax so the fact that and here's the thing I don't think she is going to do anything about it yeah uh but it's the idea of she at least acknowledges that it's a thing and that is enough for Ezra to not, not like, like him. him okay so again even in this episode we're not going to hear an explicit I'm endorsing Maxime Bernier, but it's clear where his allegiance was, right? So this billboard, uh, it was put up and there was a huge uh, reaction to it on Twitter. A lot of people were freaking out. It's racist. Even a lot of the MPPs from the Conservative Party. From the Conservative Party, yes. Were very upset too. And it has since been taken down. My, my my favorite thing was when it first happened, somebody went and vandalized the sign 
uh, which you mentioned earlier in the podcast. Say no to ass man. Say no to ass man. So like if you erase some of the letters in uh, no to immigration, they they uh, made it so it looks Take like saying the no M to... out of mass. Yeah. <laughs> you got ass. Yes. Take so, all the other letters out of immigration. immigration. <laughs> you got man. <laughs> Say yes. no to ass man. Right. Uh, but since then, the billboards have been taken down. And Ezra is just really upset about this. So he begins by sort of like framing it that uh, he he has this way of talking about the Canadian media, which he refers to as the media party. And we'll get to that in a second. But he claims that the media party in Canada uh, ran these campaigns, specifically the CBC, to stir up this Twitter mob to harass uh, the company, which was Patterson Outdoor, was the advertising company. And they harassed, they they basically controlled the Twitter mob to go after Patterson, Patterson and get Patterson to cave, basically. He then goes on to acknowledge that the billboard actually was not put up by the People Parties of Canada. So there's a thing in Canada which is uh, about third-party campaign uh, people. Yeah. And so those basically people who are not sp- like directly involved in the campaign so it's like and i gotta really be careful with my language here because like they they could be affiliated in some way but it's the fact that they're not the same like body so this is like uh, a non-profit organization that is separate from the people's party of canada my guess is that they have a lot of shared interest and maybe there's no overt conversations because that would be illegal mm-hmm. but there's some like I like you, you like me, I'll do this thing for you. And so this group, uh, they're, they're called True North, uh, uh, what was it? True North Strong and Free Advertising is I think what it was called. And they were just created by this one guy named Frank Smink, who is a CEO of a bunch of mining companies, specifically KWG Resources. And he's the one who basically set up this advertising company and then paid for those billboards and put those ads up. Yeah. Now he has since like walked certain things back. So he claims that he was not aware of the messaging. And Ezra raises this at some point that I I didn't clip it, but uh, that that's a weird thing to walk back because clearly you came up with the ad and then had to pitch it to the advertising yeah, company. Yeah. Like there's no, like it says, say no to mass immigration. Like there's no, yeah, <laughs> no it's way to think clear. that. Right. So like, that's clearly a bullshit thing. But at the same time, uh, it's interesting to note that Maxine Bernier, he did not uh, necessarily put in this advertisement. However, he was very supportive of it. He was like, hey, like, I like the fact that these billboards are up. And since they've been taken down, he's been very vocal of like, what's happening to free speech in Canada? I'm being censored. Right. Uh, And here's the interesting thing. And I don't know fully what this means. But Ezra does not mention the company name in this whole thing. He mentions briefly Frank Smink, but doesn't go into any details. Does not say that he's a CEO for a mining corporation. Okay. Doesn't mention any of that. And I don't know what that means. And I was also confused because we already talked about Andrew Lawton and we're going to talk briefly about someone named Carolyn, uh, Carolyn Morgan or Candace Morgan. Okay. Andrew Lawton and Candace Morgan Morgan work for uh, this thing that they created called the true North initiative. 
And the True North Initiative is like this blog thing where they basically uh, rant about immigration issues. They also touch on climate change issues as well. So those two things seem to be like the two big issues that these far-right people like to, to harp on. But the interesting thing is they're called True North and this advertising company is called True North. And that confused the hell out of me for a while. I was like, are they the same thing? And it was interesting because he has Andrew Lawton on the one day where they talk about the billboard. And then two days later, when they were talking about immigration again, they had Candace Morgan on. Okay. And so I was like, you have two people on your show during the week about this billboard thing who work for a thing called the True North Initiative. And you have a do, and you're both talking about the issue of the fact that this billboard was put up by True North Strong and Free uh, Advertising Corporation. Okay. And from what I could tell, they're completely unrelated things. But for a while, I was like, are they all connected? Like, this is so... I started getting my own, like, conspiracy theories going. But I can find no information that these things are connected. But it is kind of weird that uh, Ezra does not say that they're the True North Strong and Free Advertising Corporation and never brings that up, never acknowledges it. So... Now I'm going to talk to you about the the media party thing, because I think this is just interesting. This came up the first week I listened, and I first, like, just sort of ignored it. I was like, Mm -hmm. he said it a few times, and I was like, okay, whatever. But he goes into a bit more detail this week, uh, and basically his argument is that media in Canada is basically its own party, and it's basically... uh, a subset of the Liberal Party. And his reasoning for that is, so there was a thing that happened recently called the media bailout. Basically, a lot of the large media conglomerates complained that they were going under for various reasons, the internet issues, the same reason media is collapsing everywhere. And the Liberal government under Trudeau basically put in this like... uh, put in this thing to 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 basically subsidize the media industry and, and create like a fund that these companies can apply for. And the issue there that a lot of people are having and Canada land, which is a famous podcast, one of the bigger podcasts in Canada also complains about this is that it basically uh, favors the more mainstream news sites at the expense of the independent ones. And even uh, Jesse Brown, who who's the guy who does Canada land complains that this basically uh, gives the far right a talking point. By saying, like, look, the the liberals are the ones bailing out the media companies. Therefore, the media companies are not going to say anything negative about the liberal government. Yeah. So that's part of why he thinks of the media party. The other is that Unifor, which is the union that represents most media companies in Canada. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, I thought they did just trades, like mechanics. <laughs> no, they do. They do a ton of things. But yeah. apparently they represent uh, a bunch of media organizations. And the interesting thing there is Unifor's leader and, and therefore the union, Jerry Diaz, is supportive of the liberals. Now, I as a union guy as well, I'm not overly happy about that. I like the things that Unifor does sometimes. I thought what they did, there was a thing where uh, a GM plant was closing and I thought they could have been a lot more radical and tried to nationalize it. But another thing, too, is that's not Jerry Diaz. That's the people on the floor that are doing more things. So you have an active base of people in London, Ontario, and uh, uniform that come out to a lot of protests and rallies because they personally care. But their leadership isn't like that at all. Yeah. Their I mean, it's, it's complicated. Really bad. 
Yeah, no, I'm not a huge fan of Jerry Diaz. No. On everything. I mean, there's going to be something he does that I'll, like, side with him, obviously. He's a okay. com- complex figure. <laughs> but, like, to me, it's like, I don't think if you're a... Uh, if you work for labor, supporting anyone other than the NDP, for me, is just bizarre. But that's yeah. just... Like, PSAC, which is the union we're a part of, supports NDP and endorses yep. them every year. And we're going to get to PSAC, actually, oh. in this eventually... Hey, look at that. A lot of things relevant to London and the union were part of. Yay. But anyway, so with, with Unifor, his complaint about that is because Unifor runs advertisements and things in favor of the liberals. And some of that money comes from the dues that the media pays. Therefore, there's some sort of conflict of interest there. And the thing that annoys me is that, yes, these media people are paying dues and their dues go to Unifor, and then Unifor may run a couple, like, pro-liberal ads. and endorsements. Yeah. But so do the auto workers and all, like, so... So Layuna like, supports conservatives. That means that everything that Layuna does... <laughs> or, so here's the thing, is, like, every advertisement... So Layuna may pay for an advertisement that's pro-conservative. Might. I don't think they did, but maybe they did. Then that means that... That doesn't mean to me that the Layuna members themselves particularly I'll agree, are no. influenced by that fact, yeah. right? And they themselves can get mad. Maybe like, okay, the leader of Layuna, and I can't remember who that is, they might vote him out next time because they're like, we didn't like the fact that you endorsed conservative. Or maybe they actually do like it and yeah, screw vice them. versa <laughs> as well. Yeah, right. But the thing is like, there's a democratic process in there, right? So now I'm going to play... Now we're going to get into some clips of, of the episode of where okay. he goes into more detail about his immigration stuff. I'll come back to the media party in a moment, but first back to these third party campaign signs that support Bernier. They simply say, say no to mass immigration. That's it. They don't say, say no to all immigration, which is another point of view. They don't say, say no to immigration from terrorist infested countries. Or, or even they don't say, say no to refugees, they just say, say no to mass immigration. Mass means massive numbers, open border style immigration. You could probably include the 50,000 fraudulent refugees who've just walked across the illegal border crossing oh to Quebec in that mass. I mean, 50,000 fakers and liars. Fakers. As a matter of and fact, liars. I mean, as a matter liars. Of, if you are in the United States, you are not a refugee anymore. But it's the 50,000 part that is the mass part. Before we get into some of the, the figures there, because he's wrong. Did you? Yeah, I was about to say, did you look that up? 55? <laughs> yeah. 50,000 or 50,000 50, is what he said. Okay. And he called them fraudulent. We'll get into that. Okay. The first thing that I want to cover there is this whole idea. You can tell how he's crafting the propaganda because he realizes. So so the, the reaction to the billboard was because people perceived it as racist. So the play he has to make is, I think. Well, I don't know. I can't read their mind, but we know that they're racist, but they can't perceive, they don't want to be perceived as racist. Mm -hmm. They want to perceive this as like normal, right? So Mm -hmm. saying no to mass immigration, you can see he's trying to spin it by saying it's just the mass part. It has nothing to do with race, ethnicity, all these things, right? It's just mass. Mass is the problem. But here's the thing is no one's reacting because they, they don't, so they agree with mass immigration, right? No one is saying, I really like mass immigration. 
Of course, it depends on what the hell you mean by mass and all this stuff. But there's no one going mass immigration, mass immigration, right? And so it's well, there clear are people that like open border concept. Well, there might be some, but I I think as we'll get into some of the polling, it shows that only like six percent of Canadians are for uh, increased immigration. Okay. So. The policy itself would probably be low if you frame it in terms of mass immigration. But then there's a question if what hap- what is happening is actually mass immigration, right? And that's the dog whistle, right? Calling it mass create paints an image of what kind of immigration is happening when I don't think that actually fits what actually is happening, right? And that's the dog whistle. That's why people got mad at it. And that's why people think it's racist. Where Ezra's going, it's not racist. It would only be racist if you said, no immigration for the Chinese, right? Like yeah. for him, like being that explicit is when it becomes racist. But if you're saying just no mass immigration, that's racially neutral. That's just, we don't want a mass of people moving into this country. And you'll see as you go along that clearly that's bullshit. Like there's clearly particular people that he does not want in this country, yeah. particularly brown people of a specific religion that he does not want into this country, right? So- Let's get into some of the the specifics. There's an agreement that was made between Canada and the U.S., which is called uh, the uh, the Safe Third Country Agreement. Okay. Now, what that is is that, and this was I think it was put into power in 2004 or put into law in 2004, and it was agreed on by both America and Canada. And the argument is that say you have refugees that first land in America. They can't then seek asylum in Canada. So the idea is that as soon as you claim asylum in the first country you arrive in, that's where you have to do your thing. You can't then leave that country and go to another country and claim asylum there. Yeah. Right? Or you'll be kicked out. And so one thing that has happened, which is kind of interesting, is that you'll only get kicked out for that reason if you try to make your claim through a a legal port of entry. So if you try to cross the border where border stations are on the American-Canadian border, if you then try to seek asylum there when you're leaving America and you're, say, from Uganda. So say you leave Uganda, I don't know if anyone, let's Syria. Syria makes a better example. You leave Syria, come to America, you seek asylum there, Donald Trump gets elected, you're afraid of all the anti-immigrant stuff that he's doing. So you then try to leave there and go to Canada at a border crossing. Okay. And Canada will go, no, due to the, the safe third country agreement, you can't come in. We'll send you away, basically. Okay. Right? We'll deport you. Now, what happens is uh, immigrants found a kind of loophole. And what that is, there's this famous road now that's called the, the Roxham Road. Yeah. And it's this road in uh, New York and Quebec. Yeah. And it's... It ends in both countries right at the border, but there's no official border crossing there. Okay. So immigrants pay for greyhounds that drive them right up to that line and then get out and cross the border, quote unquote, illegally. Although it's not quite... Framing any border crossing as illegal is kind of weird in and of itself. So what many people have decided to call it is irregular border crossings because you're not crossing at the regular border crossing, which is at an actual like border station yeah yeah. where there's guards and stuff right so you're crossing at an irregular point and what that means is you can now apply for asylum in a weird way because you sort of skipped the official one where they send you home so they have to let you into the country 
Although, again, it, given how the laws are set up, they probably or might not accept your thing. But now at least you're into the country and you're not going to get deported back. Yeah. So they found this way and they've been sneaking in. Okay. And, well, I say sneaking, but really what it is is because of what, uh, when Trump got elected, there was a rise in these kind of refugees fleeing America and coming into Canada. Okay. And that wouldn't have happened if Trump wasn't elected. Yeah. So before we never, like we had an issue with the Safe Third Country Agreement and there's a lot of uh, migrant uh, uh, activists that are against this uh, agreement. And I agree it's it's kind of stupid in a way because what what counts as a safe third country and how do you arrange that? And anyways. Yeah, yeah. Because is America safe for refugees? I don't know at <laughs> this point, right? You, you can make a very coherent argument that the way Trump is treating immigrants to America, that it's probably not safer than there, right? Uh, so you have this influx uh, into Canada through these irregular access points. And this is what Ezra is claiming is the 50,000 fraudulent border crossings. Now, when he states that as just like a solid fact, the, the real number is 45,517. So then you're like, okay, he's he's increasing it by 4,500 to make a point or whatever. Not mm-hmm. a big deal. But here's the thing that he's like missing out. This is the number since February 2017th until June 2019. So this is a, a period of three years that you've seen 50,000 people cross that border. Yeah. And you only get like maybe 30 or so people at one time. So to frame this as mass immigration and you have 50,000 people fraudulently crossing that border is a specific framing to make it seem bigger than what it is. Like an epidemic that's going on. Yeah. And also to frame it as fraudulent. When I just described to you, it's, it, it is a loophole in some sense, but you can see why people are doing it. Yeah. Right. And so if, that's well, why it's people... a legal loophole. It's not an illegal loophole. So again, like it seems weird calling it illegal, which is why some people call it irregular, but other people call it illegal, including some media sources. So a okay. lot of the CBC media, media sources call it illegal, and they're at least a more of a, a reputable source. But they're also they try to like skirt that line of like not wanting to seem too partisan, uh, contrary to what <laughs> Ezra wants to set them up to be, right? Uh, and so they call them illegal border crossings. But other people, especially uh, left-leaning people or even people in the liberal government, which, you know, give props even to people that I disagree with, call them irregular border crossings. And I think that's yeah. the appropriate way to frame it. This is kind of an abrupt cut, but we talked way too long for this to be a single episode. We're still trying to figure this thing out. I'm very aware of some verbal tics, and both Caitlin and I were hitting the table often during the recording. We're still learning, and I hope to make the show tighter and more auditorily professional. But some of these things we won't be able to fix until we get better equipment. So please, if you enjoyed the concept and appreciate what you've heard so far, uh, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. You can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We will try to set up an active Facebook group. Just search for Imperial News. And lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Homeless people in L.A. have smartphones.